so when I'm, when I'm driving in the car, I don't know what station you guys like to listen to, but I'm often on NPR, National Public Radio, 98.9. And uh, I like listening to that station because it's got good programs and, and stories and, and news. And, and almost always, whenever I turn it on, it's something that I enjoy listening to. Uh, but there are two weeks during the year when I do not like to listen to NPR. It is their fall and their spring fundraising drives. Okay, this is the time when they take a break from regular programming. Uh, they break from their regular schedule to ask for money, okay, because it's public radio. So when fundraising week rolls around, I do what probably everybody else does, and I change the channel for a week. Listen to something differently. Let's listen to something different. Because uh, I don't, uh, don't want to listen to people uh, try to guilt me or manipulate me into giving them money. Uh, I, don't wanna, I don't even have extra money to give anyway, so what's the point? So I change the channel. Uh, I just don't like it when they take a break from regular programming uh, to talk about money. So today, we're going to take a break from regular programming to talk about money. <laughs> now, wh- why? Why would I do that? Why would I do that? Now, just bear with me here. Uh, I'm doing this, yes, because we're kicking off a fundraising campaign, as you saw in your bulletin. Uh, but I'm doing it because if we don't talk about money, like if we just kick off this fundraising campaign and say, here, we've got to raise all this money, if we don't talk about what the Bible says about giving and about generosity, uh, then we could get this completely wrong. We could go into this fundraising campaign like any other one, treat it just like NPR or just like PBS or like raising money for a new wing in a hospital and think that the whole point is, here's the target goal, we just have to get to the goal. That's the whole point. So if we raise the money and we get to the goal, then we have a success. If we don't raise the money and we don't get to the goal, then we have failure. Okay? But biblically speaking, the key issue when it comes to giving and generosity is not, did you give enough to meet a target goal? The key issue, biblically speaking, with generosity is, are you the right kind of giver? Because we could raise twice as much money as we need and still fail. Okay, we could show up here next week with the entire thing funded and God be not pleased. Because God doesn't just care about how much we give. He cares about how we give and why we give. He wants us to be the right type of giver. So I want to take a break from Hebrews today and take us to the passage that probably most clearly speaks to the issues of our heart in giving in the Bible. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, in, in this book, and, and especially these chapters right around here, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you might not have realized this before, but the Apostle Paul is in the midst of a fundraising drive. Okay? If you read in chapter 8 and chapter 9, you find out that he's raising money uh, there's a group of poor Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul is concerned about them, so he's got this special project that he's been working on for a while. You can read about it in Romans and 1 Corinthians as well. He, he wants to go to the Gentile churches that he started and, and get them to give money so that he can take it back to Jerusalem and help these poor Christians who are struggling with famine and persecution. And so he's going to Galatia. He's, he's collecting money from them. He's gone to a couple other places. He writes this uh, letter to the people in Corinth and says, I'm coming to see you, and when I come, I want to collect this money, so get ready, set some money aside, be prepared. He wants them to be ready to give. Uh, But the surprising thing that we see when we look here, and we're going to read it in a second, is that he doesn't just want their money. 
He wants them to be a certain type of giver. He wants them to be the kind of giver that God loves. So let's read and see what it says. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he's distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supporting the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's start with this question. It's an easy one if you were reading along. What type of giver does God love? God loves a cheerful giver, right? We're just warming up here. That's an easy question, right? God loves a cheerful giver. This is a challenging standard, but it's really clear in Scripture. We all see it there in verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. So God doesn't just want our money. He wants our hearts. He doesn't just want us to give. He wants us to want to give. That's a really different standard from a typical fundraising approach. Most people just want your money. They don't care why you give. And there's just a hilarious example of this in the news very recently. I'm sure many of you have heard of Donald Sterling. He's the the guy who owns the Los Angeles Clippers. And he's been in the news recently because he he was recorded making some very racist comments towards black people specifically. Uh, and so the NBA came down and lashed on him and he, all this firestorm after this. Now, now, the funny thing is that Donald Sterling, back in 2009, won a Lifetime Achievement Award from the NAACP, which in case you don't know, is a civil rights organization for black people. Right? Donald Sterling won an award there, and he was up for a second Lifetime Achievement Award from the NAACP, when this whole firestorm about the racist comments broke. You think, how how does this guy get a Lifetime Achievement Award from this uh, group that advocates civil rights for the people that he despises? Well, it's actually not that complicated, is it? He bought it. He's a big donor. He supports this organization. He's given money throughout the years. And so they respond to him saying, well, thank you for your gift. We're going to honor you with this Lifetime Achievement Award because it doesn't matter what you really think. It doesn't matter what's going on in your heart. All that matters is the dollars and cents. God is very different. The way God approaches giving is completely different from the way that this organization or other organizations may approach it. God doesn't just care about the outward actions. He cares about your heart. Now, we see this throughout Scripture. This is a a general theme, right? So when it comes to sexual ethics... Yeah, God does have the standard. Do not commit adultery. 
But what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, don't lust after a woman in your heart. If, if you have lusted after a woman in your heart, you have already committed adultery. All right, when it comes to relationships, obviously, Ten Commandments, don't murder. That's a good one. You shouldn't murder. But is that enough? Is that what God really wants? Well, I didn't kill anybody. Well, yeah, but what Jesus says is if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. And when it comes to money, yeah, we should give. We should be generous. But God never just wants your money. What God cares about is your heart. It's not enough just to give. You have to do it cheerfully, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but willingly, happily, excitedly. Okay, now the good news about this is God doesn't care how much you give. He only cares if you give it cheerfully. But the bad news is God doesn't care how much you give. He only cares if you do it cheerfully. It's just not enough to give. We've got to enjoy it. So that's, that can be hard. That can be hard. How do we enjoy it? How do we have the right attitude? Okay, but encouragingly, God gives us reasons why. He gives us reasons why we can be cheerful when we give. And if you look at our passage, I've got three reasons for you from this passage. And if we get these, if we really understand what God tells us in this passage, the cheerfulness will flow. The joy will come. We'll be excited to give. So here's the harder question. What is there to be cheerful about in giving? And we've got three reasons. The first one is that giving unleashes God's financial blessings for you. Giving unleashes God's financial blessings for you. Now, there's some of you right now who are just freaking out. You're like, when did I turn on TBN? Like, where, how, where is this prosperity preacher coming from? Like, I do not like this. What are you talking about? You're saying if I just give you money, then God's going to start giving me a lot of money and everything's going to be great. Okay, let's just bear with me here. Uh, but, but this is what the passage says, right? We've got to deal with what the passage says. It says right here that if you give, first of all, God will supply your needs. Okay? If you give, God will supply your needs. Uh, the key metaphor in the passage is agricultural. Right? It's about sowing seeds and reaping a harvest. And verse 6 lays it out for us. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is the law of the harvest. This is, just, this is how it works in, in real life as a general principle. Like if you're a farmer uh, and you want to guarantee a small harvest, it's really easy. All you have to do is plant a couple of seeds and you'll have a small harvest. Okay, it's the law of the harvest. If you plant a few seeds, you're only going to get a few uh, crops. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But if you want enough to live off of, if you want your farming to be productive, then you need to sow bountifully. Uh, if you plant enough seeds, then you'll have a harvest that's big enough to live off of. Okay, everybody acknowledges this is how it works in gardening and farming. This is just a law of the harvest. But Paul is saying here something more profound. He's saying, this isn't just how farming works. This is how life works. Okay? He's saying, if, if you always want to be stressed out about money, if you always want to have uh, too much month at the end of the money, right? if you always want to run out towards the end of the month, if you always want to uh, have a small financial harvest, then by all means, sow sparingly. Just give a few gifts here and there 
Give grudgingly, give reluctantly, sow sparingly, and you will reap sparingly. He says, but if you want enough to meet your needs, if you want to know that God is always going to provide for you, then you need to give. You need to give abundantly. You need to give bountifully. Now, I'm not saying this because I want to get rich off your donations. I'm saying this because it's in the book. Right? Look at verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Look at verse 8 and notice all the alls and everys here. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now why is he laying on all these alls and everys? Because he wants you to know that there is no situation in which you can outgive God where he will not be sure to meet your needs when you sow bountifully. Look at verse 10 and 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. This is the plain teaching of the passage. It's abundantly clear that God promises to provide for the needs of those who give generously. But it even goes further than that. Did you notice that? It, it's, not that God will, it's not just that God will uh, supply your needs, but if you give, God will also multiply your resources. This is where it gets crazy, right? Not only will God make sure that you always have enough, even when you get, give, he will also give you more than you had before. Again, this is built into the law of the harvest. This is how uh, farming works. This is how gardening works. When the farmer plants the seed, he doesn't just want enough yield for this season. Okay, if he plants just enough to uh, get a crop and then he has to eat that whole crop because he just planted to provide for his needs, then he will have no seed for the next crop the following year. Right? So when you sow, you've got to sow such that there's a harvest and that harvest multiplies your initial investment so that now you've got enough to live off of and enough to plant again next year so you can multiply, live off that, plant again for the next year, and so on and so on. That's how farming works. In the same way, the Bible says God not only provides enough to meet our needs when we give, but God provides and multiplies so that what we have given comes back to us more so so that we can continue to be generous and so again and multiply and so again and multiply and so again. You see that in verse 10, right? It says, he will supply and multiply. Now, here's where the prosperity preachers go off the rails. Because you can take this promise and you can twist it, right? You say, you need a new car? You want, a new, who, you want a new car, right? You deserve a new car. Here's why you don't have a new car, because you haven't given enough. And so what you need to do is you need to give some money to me, I mean to God, and when you give money to God, then he will see that gift, he will respond by providing for you, and he will multiply, and then you will have enough money to get the car. The reason you don't have enough money for a car right now is because you haven't given enough to me, I mean to God. Right? You know why you don't have a house? You want a new house, you deserve a better house, right? God wants you to have a house. He's waiting to give you a house. The reason you have a house is because you haven't given enough to me, I mean to God. And if you give to God, then he will give back to you and he'll multiply and you'll have enough money that you can spend it on the house. You see, what the Bible says is that God will provide for you, right? Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. 
to spend it on your selfish desires. Is that what it says? Now, verse 11 actually says, you will be enriched in every way in order to be generous. Now, they, they can take the teaching, they can twist it, and, they, and, and we should avoid that false teaching that says God will take your gifts and multiply it so that you can take that money and spend it on whatever you want. But we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, that, doesn't, that means that God won't multiply your gift. No, God will. That teaching is there. That truth is there. When you give to God, he says he will multiply that gift, but not for your new house, but so that you can be generous in every way. See, God doesn't just want giving to be a one-time thing. Like, you give, he responds by giving you uh, money, and then you're done. He wants it to be a lifestyle, like with farming. You plant, you sow, it multiplies. You plant, you you, you sow, you reap, it multiplies. You sow, you reap, it multiplies. He wants us to give. He wants us to be generous with what we have and to prove that we're faithful with what he's given us so that he will give us more that we can then be faithful with. With And then he will give us more that we can be faithful with. Now, now you see how this is a motivation to give cheerfully? When we know that giving is the mechanism by which we unleash God's financial blessing toward us, it makes us eager to give. I mean, what farmer, understanding how harvests work, goes out in his field and is just mournfully, grudgingly putting seed in the ground like, oh, this is so painful, giving, getting rid of the seed. I liked it so much better when it was in the barn. Like, I've got less seed now. This is so hard to, to plant. No, they don't do that, right? Because every seed that gets put in the ground has the potential to multiply a hundredfold to harvest that will come back. So farmers rejoice to plant. They love to sow. They sow as much as they possibly can so they can reap as much as they possibly can. And the same should be for us. The Bible is clear that giving is a key part of how God provides for us and multiplies our resources. So we should be excited, even cheerful, to do it. That's reason one why we can, cheer, we, we can be cheerful, and it's the biggest one in this passage. But if you look, there's, there's at least two more. So the second one, the reason why we should be cheerful when we give, is that giving helps other people who are in need. Giving helps other people who are in need. And this one is, it's almost in that category of so obvious. Do we need to say it? But yeah, we need to say it. It barely gets mentioned here, but it does get mentioned in verse 12. The first half of verse 12, he says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So don't miss that first half there. He says, it's not only supplying the needs of the saints, which means it is supplying the needs of the saints, This giving that they're doing is really going to help people. It's easy for us, I think, to detach giving from reality, especially the way our economy works and our banking system and all that. We we, we just write a check to some organization, right? Or even just a direct deposit from our bank account, right? Where's the fun in that? What's exciting about that? It just feels like another bill. But it's important to remember that when we give, we're giving to people. We're giving to help people. In Paul's context, this gift, the the, the Corinthians, um, they live in Greece, right? And Paul's collecting a gift for people in Jerusalem, which at that time would have been like a couple months' journey away. So they're they're never going to see these folks. 
They're never going to have the, the personal connection, but all they're doing is they're gathering up their silver coins or whatever, and they're going to give them to Paul, and Paul's going to take them away. It'd be very easy for the Corinthians to just feel like this is just painful. I used to have this money, now I don't. I gave it to Paul, and now it's gone. But they're not just, do, they're not just getting rid of money and giving it to Paul. They're actually giving money through Paul to real people who are in need. These are folks in Jerusalem who are starving. Brothers and sisters in Christ who are under persecution. And they need this help. And Paul says, you're helping people in need with your gift. This is not just a painful collection of money and giving rid of money like you're paying a bill. This is helping real people. They're going to eat instead of starving. And you get excited about that. Okay, so we, we, we had the experience uh, like this recently. It was, it was super fun, right? Uh, we collected money over the course of Lent to, uh, with three other churches to help provide uh, towards a well for clean water for some folks in East Africa who we've never met, who we'll probably never see. Okay? Uh, but we got to collect that money and, and, and we raised over $5,000. And a couple weeks ago, some of you were here, uh, I shared with you an email response that I got from the, the, the guy who is in charge of this project, uh, the guy in charge of Father to the Fatherless Orphanage. Uh, I'll read it to you again. I won't be able to convey the exclamation points, but there were a lot of them, okay? He said, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Praise be to God for this amazing gift of love. Wow, we are in tears reading this and celebrating. Glory to God. From the sound of this, we will likely be able to get a new, a new borehole within a couple of months. This is awesome. Thank you so much for helping us and the people of East Africa. We are forever grateful. Amen. So how does that make you feel? When you hear the response, you know that your gift was not just money taken out of your bank account, but it's actually money going to help a real person with real need, right? I love it. I read this email all the time, okay? I keep going back to because this is, this, is, this is a hit. This is joy. And God's designed us that way such that when we help other people, we get joy, So we can give cheerfully because we know that when we give, we'll help other people and that brings us joy. We can give cheerfully to groups like Living Water International, which we did here, because we know we're not just writing a check to an organization, we are using our resources to help people get clean water. Uh, or other things we support, like the Walk for Life a few weeks ago. We can give to the Peoria Rescue Ministries, because we're not just giving to an organization, we are helping women in crisis pregnancies keep their babies instead of aborting them. And that brings joy. Right? Even something as boring as a construction project at our church, we're building new stairs and putting in a lift, right? We're not just building stairs. We are loving people who cannot go between levels. We are helping people to use the full building of this church, the full ministry of this church, who previously are isolated to either the bottom floor or the top floor, right? We are loving people in our gift. We are helping people. Even the normal giving to the ministries and missions of this church or other local churches, we're not just giving money to keep the lights on. We're giving money because we see people who have need, people whose deepest need is to know Jesus and to walk with him. And we want to use our resources to help them. And when they do come to know him, we have joy. See, when you, if you want to give cheerfully, 
you got to recognize that it's, you can't just think about the dollars in your bank account leaving. Don't just, don't just think about I, that much money is gone. If you just focus on the money that's leaving, well, you're going to feel bad. You're going to think about, well, I could have gone on this vacation or I could have bought this toy or I could have had this nice meal. But what God wants us to do is to think about the people that we are helping with our gifts. That's where the joy comes from. That's how you learn to be a cheerful giver. So we can be the type of giver that God loves if we realize that giving unleashes God's financial blessing towards us and if we remember that giving helps other people. Uh, But there's one more motivation here in this passage at least, and it's that giving makes the gospel visible and attractive. Giving makes the gospel visible and attractive. So if you're a Christian today, and you ever stop and think about all the blessings that are yours because you're a Christian, it can feel like you've won the lottery, right? Like, let's just think about this. God has saved us. God has redeemed us through no work of our own, a totally free gift through Jesus. He has come in and he has revolutionized our lives. He's brought us into a relationship with God. This is the best thing that has ever happened to us. And so it can, it can confuse us sometimes, And it can definitely pain us when we try to share that with someone else and they don't want it. It's like, why would you not want this gift? Why would you not want to to have salvation through Jesus? We don't understand. And I think one of the reasons why people don't accept this gift is because they don't really believe that it's true. They haven't seen it in action. They might hear the words that we're saying, but there's no reality to them. That's where giving comes in. Because giving is one of the ways that God has designed for us to make the gospel visible. So people can see it in action. Look down in verse uh, 13. Verse 13 makes the connection between giving and the gospel. Verse 13, it says, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission or obedience flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Saying there's this connection here. There's, there's an obedience that comes from the gospel. Giving and the gospel are connected. Giving is the gospel made visible. It's the belief made visible. So, and if you look back at just a chapter, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, you see how giving and the gospel are connected. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's a summary of the gospel. The gospel itself is an act of generosity. Jesus was rich. He was in heaven with the Father and the Spirit and enjoying perfection and everything that's wonderful that you could ever imagine. He was rich. But he didn't hold on to his riches. He became poor. He became a human. He became a humbled human. He became a human who died on a cross, giving everything up, his very life so that we would become rich. We were poor. We were enemies of God. We had a huge debt we could never pay with our sin. But Jesus came and paid our sin, paid our debt. This is the gospel, a tremendous act of generosity. And when we give to others, when we physically give to others, uh, sacrificially taking our riches to make others rich, willingly becoming poorer so that others may become richer, We are acting out the gospel. We are making it visible. And when we make it visible, we make it attractive. 
Look at verses 13 and 14 again. What's happening here is this huge love feast, right? This, these people are just loving on each other. This is a lot like what happened with Father to the Father. It's like we gave a gift to them, they respond with exclamation points. Praise God, we love you, thank you so much. We didn't know you before, but now we have this relationship. Verses 13 and 14, you get that same sort of thing where the, the gift is going from Corinth to Jerusalem and they're going to respond with love and thanking God for them and now praying for one another, longing for one another because of this gift. Okay, what's happening is what Jesus told us should characterize us. Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And when we give to one another, the gospel becomes visible. We, we, we demonstrate our love. And as those people, we, we, we just wish they believe the gospel. They, they're just rejecting it. We don't understand why. They're on the outside. They're looking in, and they're seeing, they're seeing us give sacrificially to others. They're seeing us genuinely love one another and people who are in need. And now they begin to say, oh, that's what the gospel is. You see, I thought that being a Christian meant that you follow all these rules. I thought that God was kind of a... I don't know, mean-spirited, uh, harsh, demanding. I thought that God was like a really tough boss that said, you've got to work really hard, and if you do everything right, then maybe I'll pay you. And what we do when we, when we act out the gospel, when we give, when we love, we're telling everybody, no, no, that's not what God's like at all. God's a lover. God's a giver. At great cost to himself, he's given his son so that we could become spiritually rich. That's why the whole passage ends with praise to God. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You see, God has given us the greatest gift and we want everyone to know about it so we can give cheerfully because our gifts help people to see the gospel. Not just hear it, but to see it, to believe it, and then to be attracted to it. We show the unbelieving world what God is really like and it makes the gospel compelling. You see, this is, I mean, the building project, it's just an excuse, right? It's just an excuse to talk about this sort of stuff. Because this is bigger than our building project. This is about a lifestyle of generosity. God wants us to give, yeah, but more than that, he wants us to want to give. Because he loves a cheerful giver. And he's given us ample reason to give cheerfully. When we give, it unleashes his blessings toward us. When we give, it helps us to meet the needs of other people, and we're made to find joy in that. And when we give, it makes the gospel visible and attractive. It helps people in the unbelieving world to join us in saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We want that to happen. Um, and just a personal testimony, studying this passage this week for me took me from a place of grudging giving to joyful giving, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm not like, I don't have it figured out. I'm not the best giver in the world, but I just wanna tell you, let this word, let this passage, let these promises of God soak in your heart until you can become one who cheerfully, joyfully, not grudgingly, not reluctantly, gives. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the way in which your word does surgery on my heart over and over and over again. Thank you for taking me back into a place of joy in giving. It's so much better to be out here trusting you uh, and in your riches and in your care than trying to do it on my own. 
so much better to be in a place where, where you're developing relationships of love and you're putting the gospel on display. Father, I pray that for all of us here. Thanks for the opportunities that you give us over and over again to give. Thank you for this particular opportunity for our building project, but um, we all run into other things all the time to give of our time, to give of our attention, uh, to give of our abilities. Father, would you make us generous with those as well? Make us a generous people who put the gospel on display. And as we do that, Lord, would you give us a harvest, not primarily financial, but of souls who turn to you in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.